Welcome back to Sage Spirituality. This is part two with your host, Joel Marbit. I want to talk to you about how do we cut the fuse of this powder keg that we call anger. This powder keg that's about to destroy us is going to destroy our families. It's going to destroy our health. It's going to destroy our mental health. It's going to destroy our our future. It's going to destroy our relationship with God. And eventually, it could destroy our eternal destination. So what can we do with this situation? I would say just as a preface, before we get into heavy lifting here, of what we're going to do, we've got to realize it's not going to be easy. St. John Climacus, he said this, he said, some people with a hot temper do not worry about it and ignore the remedies that would heal them. They forget, unfortunately, what is written. Surely anger kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. Job 5.2. Now, I want you to think about that. There's a lot of people that will absolutely ignore the words I'm about to give you. The steps that are not complicated, but they're definitely not easy. The reason why is Frederick Buckner, he points it out and he hits the nail on the head. He said this, he said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Now, he's saying it just straightforward. The reason we don't want to get past anger is because, boy, it is a savory morsel. It is a feast fit for a king. We feel justified in our anger. We do not want to let it go, and we want to make others suffer because we ourselves have suffered. Many of you have heard the the quote, and I don't know who really coined it, but, man, it's very fitting. Hurt people hurt people. (laughs) You know what? When you meet someone that's hurt, They want to hurt other people. They want to make other people suffer. And they're angry because they're hurting. But what we have to realize is exactly what he says in concurrence with Mark Twain. What we're doing, the chief drawback, is that we're wolfing down ourselves. We're destroying ourselves. We're consuming ourselves with anger. Now, Charles Spurgeon said it even more directly. He said, do not say, I cannot help having a bad temper. Friend, you must help it. Pray to God to help you overcome it at once, for either you must kill it or it will kill you. You cannot carry a bad temper into heaven. Those are absolutely direct, clear, amazing words from a man of God He was a pastor of an amazing church in London, England in the 19th century, a man whose words traveled around the globe and crossed doctrinal barriers, respected by many, and he said it very clearly, you cannot carry a bad temper into heaven. Now, if I'm going to cut the fuse to anger, the very first thing I'm going to have to do And I say this with a smile on my face today. 
you got to take off your shoes and breathe. Now, that little quote comes from a very challenging situation in my life. We live out of the country, and one time in a, in a clerical error, there was a large sum of money that disappeared from one of our accounts. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but it, it caused me quite a bit of uh, anger, caused me quite a bit of anxiety and frustration. And I called the institution, and I was trying to work this out, and you know, my anger was escalating, was going higher and higher because they just could not tell me where this large sum of money that was intended for a missions project had disappeared to. Oh, I was so frustrated that it was this and it was that and it was the other and I was getting more and more frustrated and my my frustration was growing and just almost getting a mind of its own. I jumped on the anger train, friend, and I was running full steam ahead, but in the wrong direction. And the lady on the other end, I can't even tell your name, but she told me something. She said, sir, I just want to ask you to take off your shoes and breathe. And I laugh about it now. It was not a laughable conversation back then, but my wife and I now use that as a laughing situation. When we find ourselves on the wrong train, that's kind of our let's get off this train deal. Let's take off our shoes and let's breathe. No, Benjamin Franklin, he said this, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. Francis Desaia, he said this, there was never an angry man that thought his anger unjust. Now, we have to realize that just because we feel justified in our anger doesn't make it right. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is our glory to overlook an offense. That if we want to be wise, we're going to be slow to anger. I've got to ask myself a few questions. Is it something worth being angry over? Is it eternal? Am I approaching the situation out of love? Those are just three really quick questions that I have to consider in the middle of me being angry. Now, one of the biggest problems with anger is the fact that we allow anger to escalate. And the reason it escalates is because of Newton's third law of motion. And anytime we express anger, that's why uh, anger will many times explode inside of a marriage because there's never an end. There's the constant bickering back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. St. John Chrysostom, he said this, no matter how just our words may be. You run everything when you speak with anger. We may be completely justified in what we're feeling, but when we express it in anger, everything is ruined. Everything goes out the window. Now, I love this story. It's a little bit of a, of a joke, but I think it would probably actually work. A lady goes to a doctor, and she tells the doctor that her and her husband are having some major marital issues. In the middle of her exam, she just kind of starts prodding the doctor and asking for advice and asking for input. And she says, you know, every time we talk about something, the conversation just escalates into a fuss and a fight, and there's so much anger, and we're getting to the place where we hate each other. And is there any suggestion you could give to us to be able to break this cycle and one thing that the doctor says, he says, I would suggest that every time a discussion or an argument starts 
inside of your house, inside of your home, just go to the kitchen and take a glass of water and put take one mouthful of water, but don't drink it. Just swish it around in your mouth until your husband finishes talking. And once he walks away, then spit the water out. And the lady came back a month later, and she told the doctor, she was just gleaming. She said, wow, this is amazing. We haven't fought all month. This has been absolutely spectacular. She said, you know, that swishing that water around is amazing how that works. And the doctor looked at her, and he said, you know, it wasn't the water swishing in your mouth that did it. It was simply keeping your mouth shut. And I think that's something that we need to remember because many times we have a hard time recalling that God's called us to be peacemakers, not fight winners, not debaters, but peacemakers. And most of the time, the best way to stop the train of anger is to simply keep your mouth shut. Or as Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, he said a soft answer breaks the rage and a tough answer encourages fury. So if I want to cut the fuse on anger, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take off my shoes and I'm going to breathe. <laughs> I'm going to take off my shoes and I'm going to breathe and realize that most likely my anger is not justified. Number two, I'm going to identify what is truly causing me to be angry. You know, it's most likely that it's not the woman at the drive through counter that is pushing you to the point of tears. It's probably something much, much larger. It's not the person at work. It's not the, the fact that your husband put the toilet paper roll on the wrong way or that your kids have not uh, made up their bed. You know, it could be jealousy. It could be lack of sleep. It could be pride. It could be a misunderstanding. It could be a rebellion that we have in our heart toward the leaders that God has placed in our life. It could be the fact that I'm just overreading into the situation that is at hand. Are we brave enough to actually start asking questions to see why we're angry? Not just saying like, I'm mad and I'm justified in my anger, but I'm saying, what's really causing me to be angry? What is the grassroots issue here? Now, William Arthur Ward, a pastor back in the 19th century, he said this. He said, it is wise to direct your anger towards problems, not people. To focus your energies on answers, not excuses. Don't allow yourself to get angry with a woman at the drive-thru. Don't allow yourself to get angry at people. If you are going to get angry about something, get angry at the problem. And make sure that when you look at the problem, you're not just making up an excuse for you to be angry and for you to fly off the handle, but you're looking for answers to be able to solve that problem that's causing you anger. You know, the Apostle John said it so directly, suddenly in 1 John 4.20, he said, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Think about that. Friends, we're not allowed to hate other humans. It's just not permitted. And we can say it's not justified. When we look at the example of Jesus Christ, he was betrayed, he was lied about, 
He was killed unjustly, yet he went to the cross without hatred. He had every reason to hate, to loathe, to be contemptible towards Peter, toward the apostles who all abandoned him. He had full reason to hate the Jews who had crucified him, lied about him. He had full reason to hate Pontius Pilate and the Roman institution that had crucified him. Yet he gave us an example where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What an example, not to say I'm justified in my hate, but God, God never, never justifies hate toward a person. Now, Benjamin Franklin said this, he said, anger is never without reason. That's true. But he finishes that statement by saying, but seldom with a good one. (laughs) Usually the reason we have anger is not a justifiable reason. But if we're brave enough, we can take this second step and we can ask God to help us to find the root of our anger so that we can cut and we can start dealing with that root. Now, the third thing that we have to do is we got to take action. We've got to take action. Now, first thing we do is we slow down. We slow down the train. We make the decision we're going to get off. We take off our shoes and we breathe. The second thing we do is we're brave enough to ask God to show us what's the root of our anger. What's really causing us to be angry? What's the problem here? Let's divorce the person and the problem at hand, and let's focus on resolving the problem. But the third thing we've got to do is we've got to take action. We've got to come up with a plan to deal with the root cause of our anger. I grew up in a small town in rural Alabama, and one thing that we always had the privilege of doing was dealing with a plant that my dad called a privet hedge. Now, I'm not sure if that's the scientific name for it, but it was just it was just a plant that would come up, and it was really not bad because a lot of times it would grow along fence lines or it would grow, grow along your your yard line or anything like that, it, and, and, it was, and it would grow quickly, very, very quickly. It would come up in the spring, and it would be uh, four or five feet tall before you even knew it. And one thing about a privet hedge is it would just reproduce and reproduce and reproduce, and one summer, my dad and I cut down all the privet hedges around our property. To get rid of the privet hedge, my dad taught me something. It wasn't enough just to go out. I remember us going out, and we cut down all of the all the plants, and we cut them down. We had a, um, a bush axe, and we took this bush axe, no, no chainsaw, just a bush axe, and we're cutting down and cutting down privet hedge after privet hedge after privet hedge, and we had this massive bonfire, and we burned it all off. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, we've really gotten to this point here, we made, you know, it's kind of like the person that says, hey, I made a decision to get rid of anger in my life. But once you start cutting those things down, the easiest part was what you could see. The easiest part was what was above the ground. The hard part was when my dad told me, he goes, hey, we're not finished yet. We've got to deal with the root. Because if we don't deal with the root, this privet hedge is going to come right back and it's going to come back with fury. It's going to be even bigger and more difficult to get rid of 
because the root is going to continue to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And that privet hedge would grow and, and, and the roots would grow together and they would connect underground. And that's what happens in our anger. Many times we have something in our life that's causing us anger and it will bleed over and cause anger in other areas of our life. That's why when we come home from work and we're frustrated or mad because we didn't get the promotion, all of a sudden we come home and we take it out on our family. Underground, these roots connect and they cause unbelievable levels of pain in our life. And we got to take care of getting rid of the roots. Now, some of the ways we can get rid of the roots, and I would just tell you straight out, is just following biblical direction. The Bible tells us over and over and over ways of dealing with our humanity and our human nature. And Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 5 because we're human and because we get angry. There are things that cause us great levels of anger. And for us, if we want to really eradicate anger from our life, we got to follow biblical direction. We got to pray for the situation at hand. We got to pray for every instance where we have anger. We need to pause and we need to pray. There's a lot of people that would say we need to, you know, we need to stop and we need to count. I know that uh, Mark Twain, you know, not a religious, uh, not a religious person at all, but. You know, one of the things he said is he said, when I get angry, I count to four. And when that doesn't work, I curse. Well, I'm not telling you to do that. That's kind of stupid and against the point. But, you know, one thing I would tell you, instead of counting to 10, would you just stop and pray? Just stop what you're doing. Stop the train and step off of it and pray. And ask that God would help you. Pray frequently. You may have to, you, you may have to pray 150 times in one day just to get past letting anger take root in your life. And I also want to tell you something. Pray honestly. Don't pray some kind of uh, hypocritical prayer. Pray honestly. Read the Psalms and see how many times David just opened up his heart and talked about his enemies, talked about the people that had done him wrong, talked about the people that had betrayed him and were looking to do him harm. Be honest with God. God can handle your honesty, friend. God will not be offended by what you're feeling in your heart. He will only be offended if you're not honest when you come before him because he knows what's truly sitting in your heart. And, you know, sometimes when we're pulling up these roots, I remember my dad doing something. We had to go to the next door neighbor and get a tractor so we could pull the roots up. And sometimes we got to find someone that can help us. Sometimes we need a pastor. We need a friend. We need a counselor. We need somebody that's got a tractor or a pickup truck that can come and help us yank those roots out and pull them completely out of our life. Now, I'm going to tell you this. When we do seek counsel, we're not seeking counsel to vent. We're seeking counsel to get over our anger. We want to get rid of the acid that is destroying our heart, our mind, and our soul, friend. We want to get rid of it. Unfortunately, many times venting does nothing but allow us more space and more time to simmer with our anger. And I want you to remember something. The longer we hold on to the anger, the more damage it is doing to ourselves. Now, the final thing I would do is I would encourage you to make a decision to not allow anger to take root in your life. Just make a decision that you're not even going to allow it to come up. You're going to keep it cut back, and you're going to deal with it. You're going to deal with the offshoots. Remember the privet hedges. I remember the next year, these little bitty 
privet hedges all popped up along the row and we had to go down and we had to pull every one of those little roots up and pull them all up to get rid of them, to eradicate them. And that's the same thing we have to do with anger in our life. You know, when the memory that's caused you anger, that's seared in your mind, that juicy morsel, that savory morsel that you've been chewing on for years and years, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it was abuse, maybe it was a a situation at work, maybe it was being let down. Like I said, maybe it's just something petty because of pride or because of rebellion or maybe even because of jealousy because someone has something that you don't have. Whatever that memory is, friend, when it pops up, and it will pop back up because that is the devil's job to constantly remind you to be angry. Don't dwell on it, but deal with it. Don't dwell on it, deal with it. Don't hold on to it, don't entertain it, deal with it, eradicate it, get it out of your life. In essence, what we're talking about here, the final point, we're going to give up our right to unjustified anger. Now, one of the most powerful understandings of this process, how the enemy will make you remember the things that cause you anger and pain, is also by St. John Climacus. And he says this, Remembrance of wrongs is the consummation of anger, the keeper of sins, hatred of righteousness, ruin of virtues, poison of the soul, worm of the mind, shame of prayer, stopping of supplication, estrangement of love, a nail stuck in the soul, pleasureless feeling beloved in the sweetness of bitterness, continuous sin, unsleeping transgression, hourly malice. This dark and hateful passion, I mean remembrance of wrongs, is one of those that are produced but have no offspring. That is why we do not intend to say much about it. He who has put a stop to anger has also destroyed remembrance of wrongs. Friend, we have to make a decision to put a stop to anger. Listen to the way he considered this. Listen to the way Listen to the way he explained this to us, that when we allow those roots to come back into our life, when we allow that, pr- that plant of anger to jump back up in our life, when we don't deal with it biblically through prayer, through fasting, through counseling, through, through not venting but asking for counseling to get over our anger, when we don't do those things, he says it's a consummation of anger, It's the keeper of sins, it's hatred of righteousness, ruin of virtues, poison of the soul, worm of the mind, shame of prayer, stopping of supplication, estrangement of love, a nail in the soul. That is heavy. Proverbs 16, 32 says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, And he who rules his spirit, mightier than he who takes a city. Friend, if you can control your anger, if you can make a decision to give up your right to unjustified anger, to not get angry over petty, small things, you will be mightier than a man that conquers an entire city.
Maybe this whole situation is summarized best by one quote by Thomas A. Kempis, who wrote the incredible book, The Imitation of Christ. He said, Be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. Just think about that. We get angry at other people because they're not who we want them to be. We get angry at people because they don't treat us the way we want to be treated. But how can we get angry at them since we can't even make ourselves who we want ourselves to be? Friend, thank you so much for taking the time to pause with me, to reach back, lean in, and go deeper in your walk with the Lord. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming to the table. And I'm so excited about our continuing journey. God bless you.